Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Blaster Cannon, Den of Geek's Star Wars and Expanded Universe podcast. The final episode of Star Wars Rebels aired yesterday, March 5th. So today we're going to talk about all the changes the animated show has brought to canon and how we felt about the finale. Also on this episode, we'll talk about the solo trailer and what time travel means for Rebels. There will be spoilers in this episode, so if you haven't seen the finale and want to, check that out before you listen. So, uh, hey guys, we got a lot of Rebels this week. Ooh, so many Rebels. So many so Rebels. Many. <laughs> so, I want to hear real quick what you think about the finale in terms of just opinion. Did you like it? Did you not like it? I was... I... I give it like eight out of ten nine out of ten it was good but it wasn't perfect it just in brief before we get to our news how do you feel eight point five out of ten so really quick are you talking about the finale or the whole season the finale so yeah fool's hope and family reunion and farewell specifically i'm gonna go with I'm going to go with an with probably an eight. I think it's a pretty okay. strong eight. I had the minor gripes nice. were, were, were definitely minor, but they weren't like, you know, yeah, I still, I, I loved it. So, yeah. Interesting. So we're all in like about the same place with it. Mm-hmm. Totally. Nice. So we're going to do news pretty quick. Uh, last episode, we, Bewailed the fact that we didn't have a solo A Star Wars story trailer yet. And of course, about, what, three, four days after we released that episode, um, they did trailer and they did this big new announcement about a a fifth Star Wars trilogy. (laughs) So I feel very similarly to how I did before the solo trailer came out that it looks fine but I'm not super hyped for it. The thing that I loved about it was that it looks like it's going to add more creatures. It has that monster in space and that whole uh, space battle scene with the Star Destroyer and the Millennium Falcon and the creature looks really exciting. But the story still not doing it for me. I'm excited for this to come out. But this is the first trailer, I think, that didn't really feel like it could kind of slot into my personal canon. I don't mean to say that it doesn't sound like Star Wars because it definitely has that Star Wars look. But it just doesn't quite fit with the type of Star Wars story that I usually engage with. And that's uh, that's about that. Paul, I know you were really excited mm. about this. Can you uh, convince yes. me? Well, okay. First <laughs> of all, I'm, I'm totally the opposite of you. Um, I, I love these trailers. Um, one, I mean, this is going to be a, a bad word for a lot of people, but I don't care. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it. It looks like a lot of fun. 
Like, it doesn't look like it's heavy-handed. Like, we know the Saga films were going to be, or Rogue One, which we knew was going to be a pretty dark film, considering that they're going on a mission of impossibility. Um, and we all, a lot, not we all, but a lot of us assumed they probably wouldn't make it out if, you know, if not all of them, only a few. So this is the first Star Wars film where there's not really a high stakes, like high drama, you know, going on. It's a pretty self, it seems like on the surface, a very self-explanatory story uh, tale about, you know, Han Solo going on, you know, an adventure. And, and I'm assuming how we, you know, how he meets Chewbacca and Lando and everything. And I think that to me as, you know, people, someone who grew up on the original trilogy era, um, you know, and, and those were the things I, those three films I watched all over, all, you know, over and over again. I love, those are all things I thought about as a kid. Like how did Han meet Chewie and how did Lando meet Han Solo and how did Han Solo get the Falcon from Lando Calrissian? These are all things that I was very excited about to find out even in the expanded universe when I was a kid. And now like, we're going to get it on film is even more exciting to me. Um, I think that to me, my excitement was, was justified when I saw the trailers because it looks like just a lot of fun. Like there's, I'm not going to go into like, okay, what kind of, you know, crazy theory of dark side users or lineage, you know, no, like it's, I'm going to go in and see how Han Solo was a, you know, a rowdy, you know, young man on Corellia and, you know, turn into a, you know, pretty high, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A very high stakes smuggler that, you know, gets the attention of Jabba the Hutt, one of the most vile gangsters in the galaxy that he, you know, seeks him out. So I, as, as much as the word origin story and fun are like very, uh, you know, not, those are kind of taboo words, if you will. Um, to me in like, I think geek fandom, uh, regarding any kind of uh, franchise. I think that this is something that is totally justified. And I, I don't know. I think the fact that you have Lando as, as a, as a supporting character is really exciting for that. I mean, uh, Donald Glover looks amazing as Lando and I've always, I, I always loved Lando as a kid. So to me, this is just exciting. It's ex- really exciting to see like how all this kind of plays together. I mean, like, you know, the fact that Lando has a droid that, you know, we find out, you know, that that's his that's his droid. So, OK, why does he have a droid later on? Like, what I happens? I do love that droid and Saf loves that droid, right? Oh, you know, the like, you both know how kind of not ambivalent, but like not super excited for Solo, I think. The moment I saw Late on screen, I was like, I love that droid. And then the moment I found out that she was played by gotten her name um isn't it phoebe something yeah it's phoebe something i can't remember my brain automatically fills in the friend's character's name so i don't actually remember what her name is mm-hmm. um the moment i found out that late was like a, a lady droid i was so excited i watched that trailer so many times just like the little glimpse of you get of her doing that salute uh so now i am super psyched for solo because this is the first movie with a main character who is a female droid um which i have been screaming for for so long uh so solos managed to like rocket itself right up to the top of my excitement list now just from that one thing Hmm. i love that people have been setting that trailer to different music and every time (laughs) lando and lee do the salute i laugh so much it's so good i love that meme thing going on with that so much (laughs) 
Yeah. And uh, Leet does look look cool. I'm curious to see how this will compare to, like, the Brian Daly Han Solo books and to the canon that we had about his backstory. Because there isn't a lot of reason to change his backstory, that he was part of the Imperial Academy, that he rescued or otherwise befriended Chewbacca, that he was had this friendship slash rivalry with Lando. Those are all pretty well-established things. I am curious to see how they work with uh compared to the expanded universe stories that covered that similar ground well you know to me it's um everything about the the trailer got me excited because there it just it was you know original trilogy era which i think is you know disney at least thinks it's it's their bread and butter if you will um and i think that you get to see kind of like a di- different parts of the universe, which is really cool. Like again, you're seeing like the oppression of the empire and you're, I don't know, seeing Corellia like for, you know, finally is going to be really exciting. I'm like really excited about that. Seeing um, Corellia will feel very EU. Yes. Yeah. There's yes. no way it can't feel like that. Yeah. So, which is going to be a really weird but cool feeling to actually see on screen. Yeah. I like that, Paul, you and I both pointed out the the mercenary or whoever in the, the villain gang who looks like Bausch. Like, oh. all of the villains have really cool masks, and I'm here for that. I really like the designs in this. Like, the art design of this entire movie looks really cool. Mm-hmm. Different, but very cool. And still, like, different, but still Star Wars. Which I, like, everyone says for every single new Star Wars movie that comes out. Because Lucasfilm keeps nailing it with the design. Yes. But yes. Solo just looks like, I especially love, like, the redone Star Wars theme in the background of it. Because um, it's just, it really gives you that kind of, like, I hate saying the word gritty. But kind of grittier, like, more... Uh, back alley kind of feel to it um, mm. but it's still like <laughs> it's got that Star Wars theme to it I love Star Wars remixes um, so every like yeah I didn't think the trailer would do much for me but watching it just seeing how it was designed seeing Elite, seeing Lando the cool villains, the music just everything was just I really hope the soundtrack sounds like that um, I, it probably won't but I'm hopeful well the soundtrack I'm still having trouble finding a character that I latch onto in this, I think, because Han just wasn't really one of my favorites. Oh, we know. What I really need is a character that I can, <laughs> I know, big surprise, hot take, right? Uh, yeah, seriously. Um, I want I want a character that I can really latch onto, and I haven't quite been given that yet, but Saf, I like what you said about, like, the music, and I don't think that calling it fun is a bad word. I think there have been concerns about how much humor... Uh, Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm wanted it to have and there was the trouble with the the original directors and there has been a lot of changes behind the scenes with this but I don't necessarily want to say that just because it's a lighter story it isn't going to be as good I think fun is always part of of Star Wars and I don't necessarily need it to be Rogue One in order to enjoy it even Rogue One has fun but it's like Star Wars is inherently quite campy and goofy. Like it, it was inspired by mm-hmm. campy as heck oh, yeah. serial things. Um, and so, like when people get worried about Star Wars being too funny or too fun, I'm always just like, "Where did you go wrong with Star Wars? Like, why don't you want Star Wars to be Star Wars?" Mm-hmm. And I think I can definitely see that. Like with the original two directors, they are 
very comedy and I can see them having done something that was too much, like leaning into their kind of comedy and like just constant jokes and stuff like that. Uh, Ron Howard is from what I've gathered, quite good at balancing like oh, for sure. comedy and more mature tones. Uh, I haven't actually watched recent development yet, but I, I do plan on, I swear. Uh, but every meme I've seen about his comedy has just made me laugh. Like every joke I've read that people have quoted of his has been funny. Um, and so I'm very like, I appreciate that the trailer makes it look kind of like more darker and kind of like very what you'd imagine Han Solo to be about. But you kind of know from who the cast is and who the crew is that it's going to have that more lighthearted side. And I'm expecting Solo to pull off that balance really well. If it doesn't, I'm going to be really surprised. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be really entertaining. And I think I think that's the thing that that I think will surprise you, Megan. At least, I'm, at least, at least that's what I'm kind of going into expecting to be, have a lot of fun and, and be like, Oh, that was actually, you know, a fun little romp in the star Wars universe. And I think with, with yeah, characters, lo- think yeah, yeah, go ahead. There is something to be said there for my expectation expectations for star Wars movies are usually like, this is going to be life changing in multiple ways. Like that doesn't necessarily mean that a star Wars movie, which is, fun like that i that i come out of the way i came out of thor ragnarok going that was amusing and i'm not gonna you know orient my life around it but it was good uh that kind of reaction is a perfectly like fine reaction to star wars i think i definitely hold star wars to this like pinnacle such that good becomes like a lower standard right (laughs) No, I know totally. Yeah, I hope, I hope you do find a character you can latch onto for this because I know how important that can be. I mean, if I didn't have Leet, I wouldn't be. I would still be keen for this, but I wouldn't be anywhere near as excited as I am. And Leet does look excellent, and the fact that her name is Leet is just like, it's. <laughs> I love it's it so, so goofy, and it's great. <laughs> so. uh, it 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 makes me so happy. Like it's such a stupid thing. It's just a stupid name. But I really hope they call her Elite in it and not like Ellie or something like that, because that would just be boring. Oh, no. Yeah, that would be worse. Really, 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 so. <laughs> fa- really fast. The, the, my last thing, you talked about the music for a second, Saf. I thought the music was really cool. Yeah. I'm pretty positive that's trailer music specifically. So No. Yeah. Who's actually doing the soundtrack on this one? Uh, it's, a, it's a composer. So I know it's not like a, like a, you know, someone who's actually not a what's the word I'm looking for? Like, not like a rock and roll. That's what it kind of felt like a little more rock and roll. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I thought but, it was a little bit more like dubstep. Well, not well, dubstep, you know well for I mean. me, like when it was like, it starts off with like distorted guitar, you know, you know, and it's supposed to mimic like a, a, something, a ship, you know, starting up, but it's like, you know, I almost thought it was a bass. Like, like it's, I just, all I know for people who, who are fellow musicians like myself who played guitar, it sounds like someone that, like turned their big muff gain all the way up or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, Okay. I want that sound. Like, I mean, composers can bring that kind of sound in as well. They're not always just like orchestral. Every time, Johnny anyways, Williams, that's what I want. Anytime I Johnny Williams would put guitar, like electric guitar, in his, I mean, in John his music, does do that style. <laughs> there are there are composers that can do it well, I and I have heard it done well. Well, I, I just but I have no clue. Much. Who is composing this or what they actually do? So <laughs> I have no useful we'll see. information I, I, yeah. on this. Well, we'll see. I mean, if it is, I mean, I actually would be stoked if, if, if a composer can do that. You know, I mean, composers, of course, can do anything because they tell their you know engineers to whip something up for them. I get it. You know, so I mean, like, but I mean, I don't know. I just don't think that's probably to, to have a more like you know less conventional like orchestra and have it be like 
mostly synths and electric guitars and things like that. Like, I'd be very surprised that would actually happen in a Star Wars uh, film. Less typing. That's a lot of typing. Sorry. Oh, that picked up way more than I thought it yeah, would. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Just, just, um, just mute. Your, a, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I had a nice transition in mind where I was going to be like, speaking of tonal things, here's <laughs> a like gritty introduction to the Star Wars films. But then you guys had this like really intelligent conversation about music and I can't <laughs> use my transition anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I no, The one it time I'm intelligent about something oh, is stop. when you actually. I'm kidding. <laughs> No, it was good. I like we can pull out some of that like external knowledge and apply it to Star Wars. So there, you know, another announcement that happened shortly after we recorded our last episode was that there would be a new series of Star Wars films. Now, this is in addition to the sequel trilogy, in addition to the Ryan Johnson trilogy, um, a new series directed by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, who are the the creators, the show, the runners of Game of Thrones. We'll be doing a Star Wars trilogy separate from, excuse me, not necessarily a trilogy, it says a series, separate from both the episodic Skywalker saga and the Ryan Johnson trilogy. This is very speculative right now. Um, we don't have a lot of news going on, except that it's these two guys and I don't watch Game of Thrones but so I can't really speak too much to it except that they're another two white guys and I think that this is a chance where hopefully they can bring in more diverse writers more diverse directors around this project because I love that we're having more Star Wars I am intimidated and thrilled and just blown away by these this concept of like a fifth Star Wars trilogy already been announced. I think a lot of changes might be coming with this. We've seen a lot of changes with the directing team of the Han Solo movie. Uh, I think there might be more changes coming just because it's so far in the future. But I I don't... my, My first reaction was certainly not, like, full of joy. My first reaction was... I don't think Game of Thrones is the style, is the the brand that Star Wars necessarily wants to associate itself with. And I'm sure these guys can do other things, but I haven't seen examples of that. So this is... It's hard to draw a conclusion because it's so speculative. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I'm drawing a conclusion, which is that I'm not a huge fan of this idea. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan either. I used to watch Game of Thrones, uh, but I did stop watching because it just started doing too much stuff that I just couldn't handle dealing with. Um, I think, uh, I'm sure they're talented guys, but whenever they diverge from the books of Game of Thrones and stuff I know about that, it seems that they kind of get a bit more wonky in what they're doing um, and don't have as much strength beyond, like, gratuitous whatever that makes people watch our show, Um, which I always have had issues with the stuff that they brought in that has just added extra violence towards women or other characters and stuff like that. Um, They also had have had that confederacy show uh, that was a huge drama a while back because they were like, what happened? What, what if slavery still was a thing? Um, And I feel like these two are just a little too much on the side of like, let's do what's edgy and, and 
we'll make people watch our shows kind of thing. Uh, also, like, as talented as I'm sure they are, there are probably plenty other people as talented, if not more so, who aren't just two white dudes, who have a pretty, uh, like, controversial relationship with a lot of their audiences. Um, I, I'm not fond of this choice, but I there's nothing much I can really do as a person about it. Uh, I, but I do wish that Game of Thrones fans would stop being like, you're wrong because you don't watch the show. And I'm like, cool. I don't care. I I don't care. I agree with a lot of that. And as I was kind of digesting this, I think there's a couple reasons why this was a good business decision. I don't necessarily think it was a good tonal decision, but I kind of, and the, like, I still don't really agree with it, but I think they have shown proof of being able to do two things, one of which is to work within an existing brand. They're good at adaptations. And I don't, uh, I've heard many people say what you've said, that they are not as good when they're working with an original script or working outside the bounds of the thing they're adapting. So that Mm. could be an issue, but they have been enormously financially successful with their adaptation. And the other thing that um, you also kind of brought up is that they're good at branding they are big names they are going to bring in a lot of money they're going to bring in a lot of people you know fans of game of thrones fans of star wars like they're very um their appeal is very broad so when i thought about it that way i felt a little better about okay i kind of see why you did this but i really hope and i have an article up on den of geek about this that um having them as the public face will also open up an opportunity for more diverse writers, more diverse directors to come in as part of this project, because the more Star Wars we get, the more job openings we get, frankly, for people that can bring more diverse perspectives. And I think that's important. I think that um, being the, you know, the biggest Game of Thrones fan here, uh, I'm a big Game of Thrones fan, and the TV show is a big reason why. You know, I never, I'm not a big fantasy book reader, and uh, when the show came out, I just you know didn't think anything of it, and I remember people talk, you know kept talking about it. And I finally watched the first season after it had aired, and I and I fell in love with it, and I've been in love with the show ever since. I've went on and read most of the books. I haven't read the last one, but I read most of them, um, and I will say that. You know, just for my and again, my understanding, like, is there is tons of vile things happening to all kinds of people in these books to, you know, and I feel like they're adapting the books and a lot of things like that they've added that they have hasn't actually happened in the books yet. Like, I know, like, things with Sansa have happened. Like, I know that is like probably going to happen in the books at some point because that's Mm. that's a major that's a major plot point. So I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, I mean, like, I'm not saying, like, it's, it was great. I hated watching that. But, like, at the same time, they're adapting what George R. R. Martin has, like, is putting I together. I don't think – from what I've gathered for that, it just seems like they just changed what actually I, happened I, in the I book don't, well, to ran, because, make it fit the show. Anyways, let's talk about Game of Thrones. Well, no, no, because um, – well, No, no, no. Well, one well, of my well, issues well, with well, it is – no, no. Hang on. What I was actually referring to was in the first few seasons of the show, they brought in a character just to – make her die in a really gratuitous way um who wasn't oh, ever in the, the book prostitute? so it's that kind of stuff that i don't like yeah her right, that's right, the kind right. of stuff that they do that i don't like um well it, it, they it, 
I, I do. I don't want to get too derailed onto Game of Thrones, although I think that's an important conversation that a lot of people are having. But I want to kind of focus on that idea of adaptation. Do we know, have they worked on other things? Um, yes. I, Confederate was the example, and I don't know if that's based on the, anything. That's got its own ethical well, issues. I will say there is, uh, Benioff is the one who's probably done most stuff. D.B. Weiss has, has been pretty much minor things. Uh, D.B. Weiss, or uh, Benioff is the one who wrote Wolverine Origins, which is pretty bad, self, <laughs> self-admittedly. <laughs> yeah, so I will I will say that. But, you know, he also wrote, uh, he adapted, uh, adapt, can't talk. He adapted Kite Runner, which is another book that he did that was, you know, good reviews, if I remember correctly. Um, was that a YA book? Kite Runner? I think it's, uh, I don't think it was a, a, a YA book. I might book. be confusing it with Maze Runner. Kite Runner, yeah. it's, a, it's I mean, like a... Yeah. Kite Runner sounds familiar. <laughs> it's, it's based off a book. It's it's based off a book. And it's it's a, my wife read it. It's a, it was a pretty popular book. But, you know, but being, I guess the reason I was bringing all that up was like, just they're adapting and to me like they have directed they have written episodes and the shows is the most successful show on you know on tv probably maybe ever and to me like and you made a good point too megan is like these guys have like they've made a huge name for themselves and have shown that they can you know they can use these small budgets and make like these great epic you know battles and they 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 know and here's you brought you you touch on something very I think, you know, pivotal in my opinion is that they, they can help employ other people for them because they have employed women directors, you know, on Game of Thrones. Like they use all, all kinds of, you know, different uh, d- directors for their, for their shows. So to me, it's like, it's not like they're just going to direct everything themselves. We don't even know if like they're going to direct it themselves or they could just be producing it and then like letting, just having them have full control. It's like, it's like Ryan Johnson too, right? Like we, he, he's getting a trilogy, but he doesn't even, he said himself, I'm not even going to direct it all. I'm sure these guys are probably going to have their hands in so many different things after game of Thrones. Because, yeah. And the you know, news is yeah. pretty vague about what exactly their roles are going to be. I find it, it's that central irony, right? That, or that paradox that in order to get a big franchise like this, you have to direct a previous big franchise. And then the question becomes, how do you break in? Who is breaking in? That can be a huge conversation, but yeah. I don't know if we want to have that conversation. No, but now, I, but. I just, I, I think from, if you look at it on the surface and I know there's issues with this and I, and I don't want to belittle anything that like people say about what, why they have issues with this, but all from a, like you said, from a business standpoint and for me as a fan of the show, that to me, like they're a big reason why, I mean, the material itself by George R. R. Martin is also the main reason, but the fact they've adapted it into a point where the mainstream audience has grasped, has grasped it. That like, I've amazed that how many people actually watch the show that would never had watched game of Thrones or some, something like game of Thrones before that they have tapped into that, you know, to those mainstream audiences and no knows how to present it that way, whether or not you agree with what they do or not do, they have tapped into that. And that's hard to do on a, on something like HBO that is, you know, is a cable broadcast or, you know, or a, a premium channel broadcast. So um, to me, it's impressive what they've done. And I'm really excited what they can do. I mean, but at the same time, if they're, you know, I don't want to be stuck in like original trilogy era either. You know, I want something different. So 
if anything, I hope these guys give me something, you know, that's not going to be the same thing. I want to see Star Wars put push to a different time era. And I'm really hoping we get an older, uh, at least older, it's older stories, if you will. So <laughs> this reminds me of how the director of Mad Max is also the director of Happy Feet. <laughs> like you can I forgot do about that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Those are both a, amazing movies, though. <laughs> a great variety. I'm, I've never things. seen Happy Feet. <gasps> you need to. All right, all right. Like, I'll change it. I'll change it. It it makes me very happy. That movie. Happy, less happy feet. Yeah, it's fitting. <laughs> it's a fitting name. Okay. <laughs> so really quickly, um, I just wanted to make sure that in our news section, we did say that the Last Jedi novelization by Jason Fry is out. Today, um, it includes extended material from the uh, like deleted scenes from the movie. None of us have read it yet. Um, we're all kind of, <laughs> in the process of getting copies or just haven't done it yet. So that'll be for a future episode. But if you if you're interested in novelizations, if you're interested in seeing them, some things that were cut from the movie, or sort of you know seeing how your favorite characters are handled in the book, that is uh, available now. So I think. From here, we're just going to to uh, talk about Rebels. I've been, I was up very late yesterday <laughs> reviewing the last two episodes of Rebels. It still hasn't quite hit me that it's over. It's been four years that have involved a lot of change for me in terms of my fandom and in terms of like we've gotten so many new Star Wars movies in that time and my opinion of Rebels has kind of fluctuated back and forth but overall I feel like this was a very strong era of Star Wars it was always so much fun to chat with people on Twitter when the when the episode was airing it's always been really fun to talk to see what fans are thinking about and the last couple episodes really introduced some wild wild Dave Filoni stuff. So I want to talk mostly about A Fool's Hope and Family Reunion and Farewell, the very last episodes. But I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the world between worlds, which introduced (laughs) time travel and maybe alternate universes (laughs) to the Star Wars universe. So, Sap, it sounds like you have thoughts about this. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my thoughts are just that this is, I, I love it. Um, Oh, one of my favorite sci-fi things is alternate universes or parallel universes. And the fact that World Between Worlds kind of gave a sense of like, maybe that's possible. Maybe that's a thing in Star Wars got me really excited because I just, I love that stuff. Um, like, and also the the design for the Void World, as Dave Filoni calls it, is just really cool. Um, yeah, cool. That's a I, 2D animation in there. Yeah, yeah. It was a really cool episode to watch. I remember because I caught up on Rebels like a few days before the finale came out so I hadn't actually watched everything as everyone else had um and so I was seeing people talk about the world between worlds on Twitter and someone's mentioned time travel and I was like I need to watch this right now so I caught (laughs) up on Rebels entirely just because I people kept talking about like what did they do that is this real like what is happening and I had to know uh so I watched it and one thing very excited about Ahsoka still being alive just because I love her, and also I love to spite people who told me I was wrong when I said she was going to survive. Um, I can't believe she survived <laughs> that way, and then I there love was it. like no no answer for like a week. <laughs> like, yes. It was and, such like 
Dave Filoni was such a troll. Gotta say. (laughs) I also like think it's kind of, it's cool how they did it because the way they did it wasn't actually going back and changing anything that previously happened in Rebels or in Star Wars in general. They didn't go back and like, revise anything that had happened you can basically assume that when ahsoka went in there in the first place and he loses sight of her that there's a time loop that he pulls her out so she never dies like it's not a situation where he went back and changed it he always did that in the same way that he can never save kanan kanan never gets saved there's not like i think it gave a sign of there being alternate universes but i don't think there is i think there is just the one constant and the time loops Mm. that happen our self-contained time loop. So when people are freaking out about the fact that people can go back and change time, I don't think that happens in Star Wars. I think it's like, I mean, I think way too much about time travel and sci-fi things because a lot of things I love are time travel. Um, But I feel like Star Wars very much has that self-contained time loop thing going on that if something is changed, kind of like in Harry Potter as well, uh, as a reference that everybody else probably knows well, um, there are the time turners in Harry Potter where people can go back in time. And through the book, prisoner of azkaban they are used to do stuff and it shows in that book that that's closed time loop time doesn't really change through that um i think star wars is the same way i don't think that this reveal of the world between worlds is ever going to go back and recon anything recon recon thank you recon anything (laughs) or like revise anything i was close i think it's just gonna be like kind of a cool force thing that's just there now and exists I think you you nailed it, Saf, because I if you would have told me, you know, Ezra goes back in time, I'd be like, that's <laughs> ridiculous. That's so <laughs> dumb. And, you know, and this is where I think this shows and at least and obviously it's not going to resonate to everybody. You know, you can't please everybody. But mm-hmm. I, I'm actually really surprised at how Star Wars fans are handling the world between worlds, because when I saw it, I'm like, oh, man. Fans are going to lose their you-know-what. And I look, <laughs> um, you know, I'm waiting for, like, Twitter to be like, Filoni ruined Star Wars and Ryan Johnson and Filoni need to die. Or, you know, I'm waiting for all these, like, awful things to be said. And I'm, like, grimacing, like, you know, looking for it. And I'm like, oh, I'm not, I'm not really seeing it. That's really very – what's the word I'm looking for? It's very encouraging. <laughs> it's very uh, <laughs> satisfying. I was like, oh, this is great. Um, but, uh, no, I, I think that – the, what he introduced was really nutty, straight up nutty. And the fact that I think it has, we as fans are like, okay, I get it. Like, I see what you're trying to do. And like you said, a best staff, like it's a force thing. It's not like, uh, you know, anyone like, you know, if Jin was like, oh, let's go back in time and save my father and let's find the, the, the time before time. And you know, all this garbage, like it'd be terrible, but it's not like, it took a Jedi to like, you know, figure out the Mortis God key to get in. Yeah. And a Jedi who's like particularly connected with like with empathy the and the, the Lothwolves in general. Yes. Um, one thing I really like about it actually is that like story wise, cause this, this world doesn't just exist to like save Ahsoka. There's an actual reason for it. Like one thing I was really impressed by is the fact that Ahsoka going through that thing in season two comes back to the season in a way that like we all thought Ahsoka was probably dead, we didn't know what happened to her. And then in this, like, we get this feeling of, you know, Ezra can save someone that we've assumed is dead. Like, Ahsoka I, is alive I in there. And we get that. Dead, but... Neither did I, but a lot of people did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're like, there's no way for her to get out of the situation. Um, but, like, it's this character that we kind of, in some ways, have had to let go. And suddenly she's back. And 
we are in kind of a similar place to Israel that we've lost this person and now like this person that we've known for a long time and she's back now. Um, and so there's kind of an assumption that, oh, he can save Canaan, but he can't. And that's kind of the point of the, the entirety of that existence of that world is that it can't, even if you, you can control time, can really change things, you can't actually change that much because like Ahsoka said, if you went back and changed Kate, like pulled Kanan out of the explosion, they all would have died anyways, which like would have caused a paradox paradox in the first place but also like you can't actually change that much if it hasn't already been changed because you everything just gets ruined um and it was, it was such a good way of using weird force stuff to both bring ahsoka back because why not but also to um kind of show that even if you want to change something and even something hurts a lot sometimes you can't and sometimes you have to understand that and let go and that gets brought back in the finale when Ezra is faced with the choice of possibly being able to go back to his parents who are dead and having to choose between letting that go or letting go of his family now knowing that like his family would probably like <laughs> if he let go of his ghost family they would all die yeah. like as someone who lost a mother in my teen years so like I identify with Ezra a lot when he was in that situation I was people were like how could Ezra be so stupid to believe this is real if I was put in that situation and my mom was on the other side of that and then all my friends were like the ones I had to save I would be very tempted to choose the alternate world um and so I feel like like season two for me always felt kind of like weird and kind of unattached to things but after these episodes it's felt very in place like everything kind of led up to this very well you know, I wanted to kind of ask that. I mean, so you know, for people, I, mean, I guess we're, we're uh, go right to the straight to the, the this. This is uh, what was the emperor trying to get Ezra to do? What exactly was was? I mean, because this is what I thought what he was trying to do as he, he showed himself as you know, Sheev Palpatine, um, you know, regular non messed up by Mace, and he's you know telling him open, you know, go in here. If Ezra were to go through and go back in time and do an let's let's, let's just assume that there is alternate dimensions, multiverses, which I'll get to that in a second um, in Star Wars. <laughs> but let's but let's just assume there is. And you know what exactly was the Emperor's end game like of him doing that? And if he went through and turned this key, would that would he have access to what something he wanted to do? Like that's what I really understand. Yeah. Uh, I have two assumptions on that. One is that. Um, for one thing, he was trying to get Ezra out of the way because Ezra was one of the few people who could actually get into that and, like, throw off his plans. Because um, mm. the Emperor doesn't know how to get inside of the world between worlds, uh, but Ezra does. And so one of it, part of it was trying to get rid of Ezra so he couldn't interfere anymore and to also start to knock off the ghost crew. But mm. also, yeah, once Ezra unlocked it for him, he could probably go through as well. Got um, you. Okay. That, that makes I had been under sense. his manipulation, possibly. I don't know if that's actually what was happening, but I think largely he was just trying to get rid of her. That is one of the things that was sort of confusing was could the Emperor access the world between worlds? Because he seemed to be able to control it to the degree that he reached through that particular portal that Ezra found. So I was under the impression that he knew something about it, but couldn't change the past. And that's part of how that world works, um, which is that you can't actually change anything. You find yourself going around in these loops, like Saf said before. I also was under the impression, or actually wasn't really sure, whether the world that he showed Ezra was really an alternate reality, or whether it was all just a trick. 
because he mm. had mm. the stones of the Jedi Temple there, and I'm not sure if that makes it more likely to be real or less likely to be real. I was thinking, too, that his plan was to lure Ezra in, and it was all a force trick. It was all a manipulation, and to just trap Ezra in, like, a cave-in, and that there wasn't really anything mystical there at all, and if Ezra had gone in, he would have just been, like, crushed by the rocks. I also think it's possible that he was trying to, like, lure Ezra in some way by turning his back on people who he knew and giving into like, his own selfishness. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things, like, Palpatine has, like, probably, like, 20 plans going on with one thing that he's doing at any time, so it's hard to know exactly what he was trying to do, but we can assume that he was trying to either get Ezra to, like, betray people he cared about, get Ezra out of his way so he wasn't in the way anymore, or get Ezra to somehow open the Void World for him. There were a lot of parallels with Return of the Jedi, which I think is part of why it got it gave that feeling of um, yeah. Palpatine wanting to turn Ezra to the dark side because yeah. you know he gave uh, that option. I I got the impression when I watched it the first time, and I and I plan on watching it as, as, as you know, hopefully on my, I hope it gets released on Blu-ray or 4K or like as soon as possible because uh, I don't have access to uh, the, the XD on my TV. I can, I'm, uh, using a, a friend's, uh, login. Don't tell anybody. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and so your secret's safe for this. Uh, okay, good. And everyone else listening. Um, but well, you know, <laughs> but the good news is, is it's on my iPad and I'm like, Oh, I want to watch this on my TV so bad. And so, yeah. So anyway, it's, I got the impression that watching the first time that she couldn't open the, the actual portal and that maybe he was manipulating him through somehow. Like, and, but then again, how, you know, how did he know his parents were there and everything? Like it, there, I feel like Ezra was a key to something that, that the emperor needed to, you know, yeah. do. that's, that's the, that's the impression that I get. I think wiping him off the map is like also maybe was probably, you know, probably seems like the most end game thing, but it definitely, yeah. uh, it's possible. Like Palpatine was like, if I can't, have it then nobody can like yes if i can't get in there then nobody can mess with my plans i don't really think about that hard i was like it, he's just trying to stop ezra from doing whatever <laughs> and also i was very emotional because ezra was obviously going through a yeah. very i have i relate to ezra so much and i'm so mad about it because he's so annoying but i have 100 <laughs> percent been ezra as a kid like when i was a teenager i would have seen so much of myself in ezra even though he's like the worst sometimes <sighs> i he definitely was... found myself thinking in that moment where he sees the vision like what is the thing that would tempt me to this basically like because this type of scene happens pretty often in fantasy i think like it, it happens similarly with like the mirror in harry potter where you're shown the thing that you most want and as an adult i'm kind of fascinated by that by the like psychology of that because like like, what is the thing that I most want? I don't even really know. And I thought that was, that's like a type of scene that has been done many times, but it's one that I'm not tired of. And I thought that it tied in well with the themes of family. And this season has been so open and so uh They've just said right out, like, yeah, this show's about family. And I like that Ezra was kind of choosing between his current family and the family he had lost in that lesson about, like you said, Sav, that lesson about sometimes you have to let go of, of what could have been and embrace what you have, which I did have a kind of 
problem with one scene in this uh, in the later episode as related to the ghost family. But, Paul, do you have anything else you want to say about the world between worlds before we go on to that? No, no, no. Go ahead. Okay. Well, so there's a scene where before this, before Ezra goes to meet with Sheev, where Hera, they're in the Imperial base, right? And they're trying to make a plan. And Ezra says, I'm going to go confront Actually, what? Who's? Where does he plan? I don't remember what his actual plan is. He's gonna go confront Thrawn, I think. Yeah. And and so he says he's gonna go on his own. And Hera says, "No, you have to stay with us. We're gonna make a plan together." And for a minute, Ezra listens to her, and he ends up being like, "Hatch a plan later." And and Ezra goes off on his own. But I thought for a minute that it was going to be the whole team that comes up with the plan together. Because I thought if any show was going to have not, like, the child character kind of choosing their own thing and and being the lone hero, but listening to the needs of the family, that it would be Rebels. And I understand that Mm. the... Like, you want Ezra to be heroic on his own. Like, I understand that that's valuable, too. But there's a while there where I was just like, yes, listen to Hera. Like, work together. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think that's very valid. And I think the reason why I think it's valid is that the the way Ezra was brought up in the series wasn't... I think the series series as a whole was good. I think there were some low points and there were some amazing high points. And one of the things I think one of the low points for me in the series is, is the inconsistency of Ezra. Now I have talked to people that have argued that that's kind of his character because he's a young, he's a young man, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a kid. And I get that. Like, that's a totally cool. But, but the problem is, is that Ezra is this season took a step forward now, I, and it's funny you brought this. All this is actually something that I wanted to bring up too, Megan. That kind of goes with what you're saying, I think, a little bit. The fact that, like, you know, there's Hera, who's this adult. I always bothered me that, like, Hera would say, you know, they'd be all talking, and then she'd go in the show, like, this is like in the first or second season, she'd go, Ezra, what do you think? And I'm like, you're like the leader. He's like 12 years old. Why would you even ask him what he thought? <laughs> I would have been like, you're an idiot. You're hormonal. I'm not going to talk to you. Anyway, moving uh-huh. on. I mean, well, no, I think. I think it's good that she asks him, like, make everyone involved in yeah. family decisions. That seems like a pretty good lesson. I mean, but I, I guess. At the same time, at these critical moments, I, I would also like to see her uh, kind of take charge a little more. Okay, but but that being said, so I'm so I, I totally get what you're saying. Now, this is where I think they could have done from a story. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Standpoint that I think should have happened sooner. Now, this is going to be controversial, so bear with me, ladies. Bear with me. Controversial for me. Never, never, never (laughs) controversial. I try not to be, believe it or not, Um, but I can only do me. So here's the deal, okay? Now, everyone knows I love Kanan, right? I love Kanan. Like, he's probably one of my favorite Star Wars characters. But I think they did a disservice to Ezra's character by having Kanan survive as long as he did. In my opinion... I think he should have died at least by season two. I think that they... That by, is controversial. Now, now, no. I want to be very clear. I want to be... Now, hear me out on this. The reason I say this is because the just in the short amount of time that Ezra was brought to the forefront, that Kezra... You know, that Kezra... That Kanan... <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. I'm like thinking... Uh, Hera and... and uh, did Hera and Kanan have another kid? Um, who... Um, anyway. <laughs> Oh, I was really good. Oh. Oh. Anyway, um, no, but as soon as Kanan was taken off the, to taken off the table. Sorry, this is Ezra too. Yeah. <laughs> you, um, as, soon as, as soon as they took Ezra, or ah, keep calling him Ezra, as soon as they killed off Kanan, Ezra, I feel, as a character, like matured like immensely. And obviously that's going to happen when your mentor passes away. There, there needs to be that I need to step step up now. And I really, really, really love that aspect of Ezra. In fact, as soon as Kanan died, I feel we got the best Ezra episodes ever. And I feel it's the most consistent he's been since he's been a character. I know it's, it's obvious, but to me, as good as Kanan was, I think you did your a disservice to the character a little bit by having Ezra have, you know, have, by having Kanan there and Ezra not being able to take a step forward in leadership and be a little more mature, I think it hurt the show a little bit. I know it's aimed at kids, and I, and I get that. But from a story standpoint, if I take if I take Rebels and I remove the kid aspect, like I remove the fact that it's off XD, right? But the problem if, is that you can't do that, though, because that is part of the heart of the show, is that is it, it is a kid's show and it is a Disney XD show. But they needed those, like, four years for the people whose audience it was to grow into that. Like, the problem with, like, because we're adults and we kind of hit a point in our lives where we kind of, we don't plateau, but, like, we are adults now. Like, we, we don't really mature more than that. Um, whereas in those, like, few years where you're a teenager, you mature a lot in that gap. Like, the kids who start watching this show when they're, like, I don't know, 12 or whatever, they'll be 16 now. Um, so, or, like, even younger than that, if they start watching it, like, 10, they would be 14 now. So, like, they've aged a whole bunch in those years that this show has been going on and in that time the show has also matured as well it happens in the clone wars too you can see over those six seasons how much that show matures because i had six whole years to grow to that point um rebels kind of did that too if they'd killed kanan earlier on that would have been a real real hard thing to do in a show aimed like at that age group but also because i think keeping kanan on longer gave you get way more of a sense of like his father figure kind of father figureness i don't know towards sabine as well like in season three she grows a whole bunch under Caden's guidance um and you kind of see her 
and Ezra paralleled in that way, it, where you'd miss that if you took Kanan out earlier. I do, like, I see where you're coming from, and I do agree with you. I think there were probably, like, other ways to do that, as in, like, possibly having Ahsoka become more of a mental figure to to Ezra so that when she dies or leaves, Ezra has to step in a bit more to take her place, maybe. Um, something like that would have been good as well. Like, I definitely agree that Kanan have like, Ezra having to step up in some form earlier on would have probably helped with his characterization a lot more because he does, like, I love him so much in the season because of how much he has to grow. He becomes a really good character, but he is really inconsistent in earlier seasons. That was one of my biggest gripes of this entire show was just how much Ezra would kind of take, like, three steps forward and then suddenly, like, five steps back in the next episode. Uh, that's a great point, Seth, because I I agree. I'll agree with you that the Sabine arc from season three was really well done. And I lo- that's one of my favorite stuff from the series was Kanan training Sabine. You know, I just, the thing with me is I just love the growth we saw Ezra have in that short amount of time that I really feel like I would have loved to have seen that in a couple of seasons or at least a season of something where I saw Ezra's growth from this like whiny and obnoxious kid to, you know, a, a young man, if you will. So, um, you know, a mature yeah. young man. So- I'm fully with you there. So, yeah. Agreed. Excellent. That's good. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad you agree with me. <laughs> in which we have seen Ezra grow is his sort of force control and how much he's able to do with the force, which to me kind of culminated in the summoning of the Lothwolves in A Fool's Hope. And I really, I basically wanted to bring this up because the Lothwolves are so Dave Filoni. They're so indulgent. They're so like shamelessly this is the kind of thing i would have loved when i was a kid but i also kind of love them now and i'm glad they got to be more they they were sort of weaponized in these episodes and uh i just wanted to say that i thought that was cool to be honest like that was something that felt very star wars to me that was not that wasn't really expected necessarily and if you again, if you were to tell me, it's the same thing with the world between worlds. If you were to tell me, Ezra would have a bunch of army of wolves and they would help him overthrow the empire on, on Lothal, I'd be like, that sounds ridiculous. And but the way the way it was set up, I really thought it worked really really well, and I, I loved it. And I love the fact that it felt very Star Wars to me because it was the, again, going back to like, look at the Ewoks on Jedi, right? Or on Jedi, in Jedi. Um, the fact that it's it's the world of this small, you know, these small creatures overthrowing the Galactic Empire, the same thing because, you know, it's like the 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 world's inhabitants are, are banding together to take over, you know, take their world back. And that, that's, what, to me, the impression that I got from the uh, series or from this episode, excuse me. And I loved it. And it, even though it seemed it seems ridiculous in concept, the execution was great. And I think that, to me, is, <laughs> you know, sorry. I agree. Yeah. The tone was very effective that it didn't come off as silly. It came off as sort of inspiring and otherworldly mm-hmm. in that very Disney way. And I say that in, like, a complimentary sense. Yeah, I think I think that's the one of the things that this this season specifically has done an amazing job of is like you you take something you're like you you know it's like a kind of a ridiculous concept like world between worlds and these giant wolves 
eating stormtroopers, not really, but kind of. And the <laughs> fact the fact that like, you know, it could go wrong very, very easily. And it doesn't. And I think that is a testament to Dave Filoni and his crew. And the fact that he knew what he was doing this whole time. Um even like with the with the ending, and I don't want to get too far ahead of me, but the ending with the, the, the hyperspace whales, the Purgles. I mean Yeah, like, no, I was gonna say uh, that too. I love that. Yeah, like that was they by the way, I'm not sure if they have a new rendering or something, but did they look more like amazing than they did like the first time you see him on screen, like from like yeah, a couple they years look ago. So good. They looked amazing. I was like, holy crap, the animation looks incredible. So so and again, like in principle, if you were to say that, like, yeah, those purgles, they come back and they like take it's like sounds so ridiculous. But it's like really, really good. And I mean, again, it's a testament to the storytelling and the execution that Dave Filoni was trying to do. I mean, everything in, in, to me it could be, if not pulled off well, just is a, to me, it's either it works or it f- falls really flat and everyone hates it. And to me, like, he knocked it out of the park. When uh, Mart implements that plan where he says, Ezra told me to go transmit on this particular frequency. I was just talking to my friend about, like, what do we think it is? And I said, the first thing that I said was the Bendu and then the Pergils. And I kind of said it because it was just like. You're joking? What else is- <laughs> I, I wasn't joking, but I was just kind of throwing things out there. Like, what else can travel through space? Basically, like, what else would get a transmission in the vacuum of space? Pergils. And then they actually showed up. And it was beautiful because you mm-hmm. see them at scale against star destroyers. And you see them like Kraken coming out of the ocean, except it's in space. And like, oh, yeah. it's amazing. There, there are so many jokes lately about how there's a lot of tentacles in Star Wars, but I <laughs> it just visually, it's delightful. I'm so glad Bendu wasn't involved in this, I'm glad he was left on chopper base planet, whatever the hell it's called. Personally, I'm not a Bendu. I like Bendu, but like, I did not like that last episode with him. Nope, 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 nope. So was- it, it would have been a lot to add because especially because there were a lot of like, we're going to bring the gang back together for this episode. Yeah. It would have been a bit too much yeah, to have lit- him as well. I think. Yeah. Literally everyone showed up, which by the way, yeah. uh, Sabine's uh, Sabine's old buddy, the bounty hunter, um, forgot her name. Gosh, darn it. Um, Kitsu. Kitsu. That's right. Kitsu. Um, where was her sweet helmet at? I love that thing. Yeah. That's a good helmet. question. Like, I kept thinking like, oh, sweet. She's here. I, get, I can't wait to see her sweet helmet. And then like, she never puts it on. I'm like, <laughs> that's interesting. You know? So uh, I don't know. I'm a, as, as my friends will tell me, I'm, I am a, he called it a costume fetish. I love costumes on like characters and I get mad when they're not there. Like Kylo Ren's helmet, you know, or something. And I'm like, whatever, man. Like I just love costumes. They're cool. So, you know, but whatever it's a, it's a, it's a small complaint, small complaint. So this is really random. Um, the, oh, the Ugnot, uh, what's his name? Mid, not Midge. But uh, is Melch. it Melch? Melch. 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 Yeah, Melch. Yeah, he stole the show, man. Like, I honestly was like, <laughs> I was like, man, I'm loving Melch. And when he got shot, I went, no. I literally yelled no out loud. 
Like I was, I'm like, they went there because, okay, I'm gonna go on a little bit of a rant. I apologize in advance. Okay. So a couple things that kind of, like, kind of, you know, were kind of weird to me was that there was a little more killing. It seemed like a little more violent in these episodes. Do you guys notice that? Hmm. Yeah. I noticed that this sort of weird balance of how they never really showed the wolves eating anyone. They showed them like throwing people off cliffs and like shaking people, but they made sure not to show anything like too yeah, gruesome no, with the wolves. Yeah, that, that but however, sense. however, the whole point of the rebels plan was to blow up an entire base yes. with yes. the Imperials on it. That's a lot of murder. Yeah. And, uh, he, so that's a, that's a lot that, Ripples is always kind of complaints with it as they're like murder is bad and then they'll go in and like throw like in storm clouds when they're obviously not going to survive and it's like ah yes you just killed all of those people yeah yeah I think I feel like I try not to think too hard about it (laughs) like they couldn't they wrote themselves into a corner right well like I I was thinking specifically um, Ezra. And his, his his lightsaber and like how he was like actually hitting stormtroopers with it, which I, I've been I've been I've been maybe I'm mistaken, but I've been I've been keeping very clear, careful attention to like how XD does a younger hero and and what they do with him, and I hadn't noticed him kill anyone, quote unquote. Maybe the third season he does a little bit or severely injured someone, I should say. He the, knocked that one guy off the cliff in the ATST. That's true. But that was supposed to be a dark side action specifically. That was like that's he true. was not supposed to do that. So, but so, but my, my point was, it's like I saw Ezra use his lightsaber and actually hit stormtroopers and and like looked like he killed them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the first time that I've seen Ezra do that. Like actually, like you know, it's, or obviously they they do it in a way where he could they could still be okay, but. I mean, I was like a little surprised and I'm like, oh man. And like, so then I see, I, you know, they kind of build that up and they're like doing all this stuff. I'm like, man, like they're going to blow up this huge battle station and Melch is like, you know, he gets shot. Like I really thought he was dead. I was like, they killed Melch. I can't believe they did that. I mean, I couldn't believe it. And then he, he was, you know, he was fine. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I don't care that Gregor's dead. I just want Melch <laughs> to survive. So I, I find it so funny. They killed like the least consequential clone of the three, like, like a freak. So sad. If Hopper yeah. died, like that would have been really tragic too. They killed the clone that nobody really remembers from the Clone Wars, and who was barely in the show. And they're like, "Oh no, this clone! It's so sad." And people are just like, "Uh, sure, whatever, okay." Had a like I love Gregor, but I also don't like care that much. He, he had a decent really story in the Clone Wars, but then his story in Rebels was entirely inconsequential. There were parts of this where I was like. Now we're watching the Clone Wars. Like, <laughs> there were parts that were definitely <laughs> the exact same kind of thing. And they were supposed to be because the clone characters were the same people. <laughs> yeah, he had an interesting story in the Clone Wars, but he had the unfortunate luck of being in the droid arc, which people try to forget about. Um, so he's a great character, but people don't tend to ever talk about it. Him because they don't like those episodes. That was his the, the episode where he took on the the Republic Commando armor was pretty sweet though. 
Yeah, no, I I really like Gregor, but just the when they killed him, I was like, yeah, of course, of yeah. course, he was the one that died yeah, of the yeah. three that are there. Yeah, I was I was like, whatever. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Gregor wasn't that. Yeah, I, I hate to admit it, but it's true. He was. In- <laughs> <laughs> he- I was far more upset about Melch. Yeah, I was I was literally about to rage on Twitter as soon as that happened. I haven't finished the episode yet. I went, I can't believe they just went there. You don't do that. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I gotta say, I kind of didn't get the whole Melch thing. Like what? I kind of it, I I didn't understand. So he's an Ugnaught. He's a he like he's a sentient being. But Hondo kind of treats him like a pet, and then. At other times, Hondo is, like, very affectionate to him, and Melch, like, <laughs> kind of seems to understand that, but not entirely. I I don't know. I was thinking, I was overthinking it, and then it was just kind of the same joke over and over, and it just, like, wasn't for me. But there had to be some comedy in there. Like, well, I get that. To be fair, like, Hondo's kind of an eccentric weirdo anyway, and so, like... That doesn't really surprise me. He would think of Melch as like a pet, even though he's not. He's like his partner, you know. But that's kind of how weird Hondo is. Like, because Hondo's just—if you look in the Clone Wars series, I he, think he kind of sees everyone as yes, exactly. A pet compared to him, <laughs> yes, <laughs> no, that's exactly Melch is it. the only one that puts up with this. <laughs> yeah, he's always like, "Oh, no, my best friend," you know. He's like, he's all so happy and like, yeah. I mean, he also was like acting. And like I do love Hondo. Love Hondo. It's that was again, I felt like he really carried every time he's on screen, he carries he carries the show for me. I'm like, man, this is so good. You know, he's I man, I want I would love to have a fun series, a cartoon series, not like we're talking like super basic, easy stuff where it's about Hondo and his crazy adventures. Like kids would eat that up, you know? I mean pirate adventures with Hondo. Yeah, think about that. You're just printing money at that point, in my opinion. But I mean, <laughs> but that's just my opinion. So anyway. So I want to talk about the epilogues because the show did jump forward in time to show what basically why our heroes were not in the original trilogy. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we go on to the like the very end and the epilogues? No, yeah, I would say I'm good. I'm say I'm good for now. Yeah, no, right. wait. One thing I appreciate. One thing I do appreciate, actually, um, with Sloane. No. Sloane? Oh, oh. Um, no. Price? I was thinking, yeah, Governor Governor Price. I thought Governor <laughs> Sloane from Halo. This is a problem. I'm going to – Governor Price. <laughs> I wish Ray Sloane was in Rebels. <laughs> I didn't even go for that Sloane. I am a mess right now. Uh, I really appreciate <laughs> that she stuck to her guns and died going down with her ship at the end because I was, was really a- worried they were going to do the whole, whole like, oh, she's going to flip sides in the end because, you know, whatever. she's a lady who's scared of what's happening. But she stuck with it. And she d- went out in the most badass way of just going right, going right down with her ship. Move, and I man. really liked that. That was a yeah. baller move. <laughs> yeah. Man, I'd never trusted Ryder Azadi. So... When he triple-crossed them, I was like, no, I thought I knew, and I didn't. (laughs) I kind of, I was like, yeah, he's probably just, like, triple-crossing right now, but also, like, what if he's not? I thought he wasn't. I, I right. thought I thought he fully on betrayed him. I'm like, holy crap. They, this is I like, did too. oh, my God. They, they did a great job of selling that. A great he job. Always- I don't know. I never trusted him. Something <laughs> in the eyes. I don't like it. Man, you don't. Man, man. 
Um, all right, so let's talk about Ezra, Thrawn, and the Pergils. Um, the season ends by kind of not answering the question of what happened to Ezra. He jumps off into hyperspace with Thrawn. Dave Filoni has said they are both alive. I was very, like, overwhelmed by how audacious this episode or this ending was, mm-hmm. but I was also kind of like, we don't know what happened to either our hero or our major villain. Those seem like important things to know. Hmm. So I'm very torn on this. It was very cool, but it was also like that it wasn't a conclusion. Hmm. I kind of like it, but I've always said that I really like kind of ambiguous endings. Um, <laughs> so this kind of played well into it. Things I really liked about the time skip thing are that, for one thing, we're not left hanging for the entirety of the original trilogy wondering who lives or dies in the Rebels crew. Um, we know they make it out. I'm actually happy about that because now we don't have to stress out for the next like 10 years about whether or not someone's going to die. Um, <laughs> it's true though. I would have done that. I also really love that um, Ahsoka and Sabine are just going off into the galaxy to try and find Ezra with some weird force stuff. Like I just, oh my God, I love that so much. And I can't wait for whatever stories they're going to tell about that because that's my favorite thing ever. I also think that in a way, um, like through season three and season four, they were kind of setting Sabine and Ezra up to be dual protagonists. Um, like Sabine kind of became such a main character as Ezra in a lot of ways. Like she got a lot of um, self-contained episodes about like Mandalore and stuff. And I think Ezra disappearing was kind of his way of handing off to Sabine as well and being like, you're the hero now. Um, which I kind hmm. of dig because Interesting. it was the judicial hmm. like the main character of Rebels was like a young boy and it's like why not let the girl be the main character and in the end I think it was kind of that passing over to Sabine who has grown with Ezra and has become like this amazing character um, and it also gives Ezra <laughs> be exiled somewhat and not have to, people don't have to worry about him being interfering in the original trilogy which I'm like this is what I called. I called this just FYI. I said he wasn't going to die. And I'm very happy that he didn't because I really like him. Um, I do think it's weird that like, we, yeah, we don't entirely find out what happens with the hero or the villain, but I also kind of really like that because it leaves a lot of potential for other storytelling out there. Well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go here real fast. And I, and I hate to be the person to do this because I'm notorious for this, oh, for doing this. Um, I'm going to just go ahead and say it. Um, I love Sabine's hair at the end of uh, this yes. episode. And her hair oh was God, amazing. So good. It was good. I, yeah. I, 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 for some, I love it. I'm obsessed with uh, characters' hair for some reason. I've been I've been called out about it a lot over the years um, <laughs> in other podcasts. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I loved her hair. I was the first thing I noticed. I'm like, I love it. Good job, Sabine. Um, but no, I I like I the epilogues. Um I, I thought it was a good idea. I love the fact that like Lothal had like gro- had already grown, and is this huge like you know massive city. I, th- I thought it looked great. Um, I thought it was interesting. I mean, I th- I'll be honest. I was a little bummed out that I'm assuming that there was some adv- some adventures on Lothal with Sabine, but the fact that she stays there for the remainder of like well, it's only two three years, I guess. But you know, for two three years, whatever, and there's the Empire never comes back to Lothal, and she just stays there and waits there. It's kind of interesting, um, but I'm a little bummed. I thought she would maybe like you know do something else, but whatever. But that being said, um, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, I was a little surprised, and I don't really know how I feel about this. And me and Megan texted about it yesterday. <laughs> is 
I'm not sure how I feel about Ahsoka showing up as Ahsoka the White, um, aka Gandalf the White. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I the more I it. think about it, the more that I like it. But I also can't kick that uh, Ahsoka the White thing. Now she's just Gandalf Ahsoka to me forever. Well, and- I mean, she's. Gandalf since like the start of Rebels pretty much like I think uh, paralleling her with Gandalf like both aesthetically and just like kind of literary theme wise means that her not being involved in the original trilogy just makes so much sense because Gandalf just kind of he knows people can handle it he screws off and does his own thing that's important and I think that's kind of what Ahsoka would have been doing throughout that entire trilogy is just like she's not a Jedi she's Doing whatever Gandalf would do, basically. And I, I really love her look in that last epilogue. Well, she looks great. Like, I, I, I do love that look. And I like that she's come into her own as the Jedi Master, who was, I think, more so a Jedi Master than Kanan. She's because she Jedi had that Master. serenity that she learned. Yeah, she's like a neutral master. She, yeah, she's like a she's like a force. She's not neutral. Yeah. yeah, like she's a force. That's she's true. just like a... I don't know what she is, but it's cool. I want to be yes, that. Yes, yes. I mean, that, that's the thing is she's – I mean, I know what you mean, Megan. It's semantics, whatever. But, but Yeah. But, I mean, at the same yeah. time – but, but it's You're weird. right, though. But it's weird because she's not technically – because remember there's that whole, you know, where she says, you know, I, I, re, I just rewatched Twilight, Twilight of the Apprentice, which is my favorite episodes of Rebels, like still. Even even with the, uh, the finale season – or series finale, which I loved and it's up there. I would say Twilight of the Apprentice are those those two episodes are incredible and will nothing can touch him. And there's a part where Darth says, you know, it's wrong for a Jedi to take revenge because I'm no Jedi. And I like I love that. And I think it's great. And I think what makes it more interesting is that, you know, to bring it back to the world between worlds, is that you have the daughter from Mortis, you know, she calls her by name, which is really nuts. Yeah. And I think they're setting up the fact that She's more than a Jedi now, not just in the fact that she turned away from the Jedi Order, but because she's linked to this Mortis God, there is that whole Gandalf kind of thing going on. So here's the deal. I, I both like it and dislike it. It's a little weird that she just is like doing her own thing. But you make a, you bring up a great point, Seth, that that's what Gandalf did, and that's what she's kind of based off now. And to be honest, I'm kind of sold on it now. And I... I would love to. I would, here's what I want to see. I want to see what she was doing with the Force. Like, what exactly is her mission now? Like, why does she want to yeah. find Ezra? Like, what's the point, you know, of a story? Like, it's not just to be nice and be like, I'm just going to find Ezra because it's the right thing to do. Like, if that was the case, she would, join, <laughs> you know, she would join up with Luke probably, right? So, I mean, like, there's a I reason. Mean, I mean, I can kind of see her wanting to avoid Luke because he's Anakin's son. <laughs> And her being like, this seems like a bad idea. I like that point, though, because that's part of what I I like this epilogue. But I don't have a lot of faith that we'll get that story told. I think if we see more of that story. Don't say that to me. I know. It's the truth, though, Seth. It's the truth. I wish I had more faith. (laughs) Your job is to keep the faith, Seth. I'm the skeptic here. You have to have enough faith for both of us. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I, could, I really want Ahsoka and Sabine traveling to find Ezra together so much. Like, this is just the thing I want most yeah, out of like, Star Wars now, and it has to happen. I am going to keep this faith forever. I would love, like, a trilogy of novel. <laughs> oh, it's a yawn! Pardon me. It's a yawn. Sorry. Oh, no. I was up really late last night. <laughs> You're, um, we were talking about Rebels late, I remember. Yeah. Um, 
I would love a trilogy of novels about that, but I would put my money on the idea that we're going to see them next, you know, five minutes before we see Ezra next. I want that story, though. I like the point that Paul made about how it wasn't necessarily, it wouldn't necessarily be just about Ezra. It would be, although, like, their familial relationship is very important, it would also be something specific about, like, the Force or the Pergils or Ahsoka has to have a motivation and... Mm -hmm. I'm definitely curious to see that motivation. I, I like her more and more as as she gets older and as she kind of has more experience behind her. But I still don't quite trust. Like, the Ahsoka novel was good, but I still think that Rebels is, like, kind of bad at giving her interiority. And it works better when she's the mentor figure because you don't, like, you don't necessarily get a ton of, like, introspection from a Gandalf character the way you do from, like, the Frodo mm-hmm. character. So it works for her, but I still... I just don't think she's been treated well by the canon in the past, so it's hard for me to think she will be in the future. Well, really quickly, yeah, that's fair. I, I wanted to say, you know, I don't. I'm not sure how how hardcore you guys are of the um, Lord of the Rings uh, series. We're talking about Gandalf. What I think is really interesting is that you know, basically, Darth Vader is the Balrog. You know, like that's <laughs> that's. And, yeah. and, and, you know, I, I, was yeah i was making a few lord of the rings parallels in my head there yeah <laughs> yeah that, and it's obviously that he's the balrog of moria and like after you know she sacrifices herself to help them escape you know and then obviously it's the world between worlds all that jazz whatever but um that being said um it's interesting that she uses you know because she doesn't oh that's right she's she's not in the world between worlds but she has a, a key to it and she's on Malachor. So it's to me, it's really fascinating what they could bring. And again, what force implications does she have to me is, is, is fascinating. And I really, really want to see that. And that's the thing I think with Star Wars that I, that I love the most. And now I think I know I love everything force related. Like I want I love the rich. Yes. I love the weird richness that Filoni has brought into the Force <laughs> because it feels yeah. it feels very natural. Like it's a, you know even in the Clone Wars where you know George and him were working on it together, like they were building a different aspect of the Force that wasn't Jedi and Sith. It's just the Force. Everyone taps into the Force. It's very re- like religion, right? Like everyone's got their own god, but you know could it be the same god, but just different variations of it? of different interpretations. And that's kind of the thing, like what the Jedi have done or, or the force kind of represents. You have the night sisters, you have the Sith, you have the Jedi, you've got those you know, aliens that are in the tune. Tide. Yeah. I mean, there's so much you can, there's so many different, you know, weird, different aspects of this that is so, you know, you can go with the, the world between worlds. Like you've opened the, he's, I mean, literally no pun intended, open the door to the fact that like, you, there's so many different possibilities you can do with the Force, and it wouldn't be so un, unnatural. And that, to me, again, Filoni is a master of, of the fact that he he you know he graduated from the the maker himself, and he to me is delivering on everything, and even on these weird aspects. So Ahsoka the White, even though that's not really her name, but that's what we're all calling her essentially. But Ahsoka the White makes sense then in what he's built up, even with like the, the, the saga films going a different direction. This is like, it, it all makes sense. So I just, I got to give it to Filoni. This is why I'm, 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 I'm totally in support of giving this guy control over star Wars stories. Cause he just seems to get it. You know, he's very good at the overarching themes. I think he's very good at story. 
And but I don't necessarily think he's great at the detail in the middle. Like make him the plot guy. I don't think he should be doing the last pass at the dialogue. But that's not new. That's, <laughs> I've been saying that for a long time. <laughs> hey, George wasn't a good script writer either, and I think that that's him, true. And him and him and Filoni have so many similarities. And we talked about it yesterday, Megan. Like. Filoni is a visual storyteller and that's, you know, that's his background. He's a director of animation. Like that is his, you know, writing a script probably isn't his, you know, strongest suit, but at the same time, the visual storytelling to me is always going to be star Wars. And that trumps everything, even with like a, a pretty average to below average script in um, the prequels in some of the films that like, they still hold up because of the visual storytelling that George believes in. And to me, that's what comes through in rebels is the visual storytelling. And that's why you can rewatch a lot. Even some of these episodes that I don't love, there's some great moments, some visual, great visual storytelling that Filoni has tapped into. He learned from the best, in my opinion, in George Lucas. And that's why I think he understands like visually, this is star Wars. This is what connects with people. And he gets that. And I love that about him. And one of the things that I really liked about the epilogue was Callus and Zeb's story, which I think did a really good job of summing up the themes that have been, or the, the theme singular that has been in their story, that theme of redemption and of finding um, alliances and like basically victory through making friends rather than victory through killing others. I really liked that Callus and Zeb ended up in the Lasat Nebula, partially because I called the Lasat Nebula coming back and it's like, they could go there and hide from the empire. Um, but I thought that one was really, that was a really like fitting end for those characters. I appreciate that. Um, Zeb took his boyfriend Callus to meet his family. <laughs> Honestly, oh, like man. I don't even really <laughs> ship it. And I was thinking, uh, it's, it's, when that happened, I was like, come on, he took Callus to see his family. Like, that's a big step. <laughs> He's the one that pretty much helped murder, like, all his family. It was a redemptive arc. It's not supposed oh, Yeah, it was. But also, also uh, Zib's voice actor called him my man. So, you know, uh, just saying. Just saying. It's a it can be a redemptive always... arc and a romance arc. Hey, it can you, be two things. It can be. It, it's whatever. <laughs> but to me, I, I totally, I get the redemptive side. I get the redemptive side. Yeah, I, people, I like, that's not necessarily my ship either, but <laughs> it's fun to like, you know, it's fun for people to interpret things. However, I'm glad, I'm happy for you, Saf. Do people ship, <laughs> do people ship um, Hondo and Melge? I'm not going to say anything here. I am not incriminating myself. I'm just wondering, do people like, cause <laughs> I I'm, don't know. Because if, if that's the case. No- I'm saying nothing. Wow. All right. Wait, Paul, how are you going to finish that? I, no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm just wondering, like, is Melgen Hondo, like, are people shipping them? I mean, I don't know. You could. I, I will tell you that they are. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, you know what's so, funny is I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if it actually was. The biggest, like, shock for me in this episode, possibly, or in this epilogue was the reveal that Hera had a child and I this is probably the one thing that I outright didn't like 
and I don't really I like Hera and Kanan like I again I wouldn't say I actively ship that but I think they're like a pleasant couple I don't mind the idea that they would have a child but the fact that it was so neatly wrapped up with like this is the conclusion to her story when she had so many other things going on seemed very sort of distracting to me and I still can't get over I know like alien like hybrids are a thing in Star Wars and like they've been a thing since the <laughs> Bath and Miri Zabrak combination like, but green skin equals bright green hair it's yeah <laughs> I have many oh, questions and I just, I, and yeah. just was not where I imagine ever imagined Hera going like Hera being a mother was just never where I thought the trajectory of her story was going and obviously like she can do and is doing so many things she's a general she's working she's doing so many things as well as being a mother like you can like do lots of things but I just it it kind of came out of nowhere for me and I but I do like that for once in Star Wars we have a mother character that is a main character and also does not die. I do appreciate that, but I'm also like, ah, I don't love this. I don't, I don't love this, but I don't hate it. So I'm kind of ambivalent on it. Except the hair. I just, I can't get over the hair. It was a little weird for me. Um, just because like, I, I'm all about a great, you know, you know, romance to an extent. And, you know, the fact that you make it, it makes it from the show standpoint, it makes it seem like Hera has no interest in any kind of relationship with, with Kanan other than, you know, as a simple, simply platonic relationship. And it's just, was a little surprising that happened. Cause I thought, yeah, cause, cause I'll, I'll be honest. I even texted some friends of mine. Who's a, who's the Hera's like kid's dad. And they went, huh. dude, it's Kanan. And I'm yeah, like, I, I wait a minute. What? That, like she adopted some war kids, some war orphan or something. I was like, no, no, no. It's that, that's their baby. That's, that's their baby. Which is, which is that definitely yeah, kind of emphasizes have- that idea that it was like, yeah, because they didn't seem to have a very romantic relationship yes, before. Exactly. It, it makes me think way too much about it. And yes, I don't want to. yes, exactly. <laughs> that's the thing. Because I'm like, wait a minute, like that's really weird. Because she pretty much turns him down, like throughout like the show, where he's like, man, what's gonna happen after we are done with the, you know, with with the fighting? She's like, like yeah, when did they have time for this? I, yeah, see, like, exactly. <laughs> It's like if her- they were talking about what are we going to do afterward, and we're undecided. Like yes. she wouldn't have wanted to be pregnant before that. Exactly. So. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know if this would bother children. I think it might no, sort of don't even think about it. Flags, but as like an adult, <laughs> I, I wouldn't. Wait, what? When? How? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't want to be thinking this hard about it. It's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. But it is, yeah. it's, I, I, these are questions I don't really want to answer. I mean, you. Paul, like neither, but also we're not the only people thinking this hard about it as well. Like, I I've seen so many people talking about this and I don't think they entirely expected everyone to dissect this as much as we are. <laughs> well, okay, here's the thing. I think in all seriousness, in all seriousness, I'm being, I'm trying to be as serious as I can here, people. But mm-hmm. I honestly, 
it does it doesn't bother me, but it is just kind of strange they would go out of their way to to make Hera be this very focused, driven you know leader, and basically turn tell Kanan, I haven't thought outside the war, and is so focused that like she you know there's no hint of any kind of romance in the relationship, barely even to like the end of season three. There's like. You know, it just, there's barely even hint, there's hints of it, but I mean, like, was it just like the best unkept secret on the ghost ship? And they're like, oh yeah, Heron, Kanan, like, you know, whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's just, it's just weird to me to like, just shove that out there. It's <laughs> yeah. like, like, it's. And they like, they put make, she has makeup on in the last <laughs> scene. Yeah. <laughs> It's weird. It's like, is she trying to imprison a new date or something? Like what's going on here? Maybe she is. <laughs> No, guys, maybe I, she is. Guys, I hate, okay. maybe that's where she's going. She's flying off to a new date. Ooh, nice. I mean, she's got the tender exclu- uh, exclu- equivalent I mean, I guess to you, Star Wars. You do have to move on eventually, so you know she's just living her life. Okay, so how about you the, go, girl? In all seriousness, too, and I mean this. I honestly thought, was it Rex's? Is it Rex's kid? <laughs> I, I don't think the clones can have kids. I'm pretty hmm. sure that's a thing. Wait, because she Wait, says, I don't think. I don't know. Okay. No, they can because doesn't isn't that one guy? No, the Clone Wars. No, those aren't his kids. He just he's looking at. He's like so his he kid adopted kid. them. Yeah, they're not his. When I believe you, but I don't remember this. I mean, I'm pretty sure the stuff that says the kind of kids is like Legends material, but also like 100. percent There's no way the Empire would have built these clones with the ability to reproduce because that would have just caused a bunch of issues. I don't know. See, now we're talking about Spartans, and I'm okay no, with no. that. But that's I'm getting also, off track. I'm also talking about Spartans, but no, 100% I'm talking about clones. Like, I cannot see like the 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 Empire, the the Republic, being like, I oh, yes, let's just have them able to have children and impregnate people. Like, I'm betting 100% that they are built without sex drives and without the ability to have kids, just for like logistical reasons. The Force <laughs> works in mysterious ways, Seth. You never Maybe. know. Maybe it was Force Ghost Kanan. We'll never know. <laughs> I mean, if you really want to, like, get... So the thing is, I don't really want to get into, like, the no, details. No, that's that, like, like, you can... This is amazing. Delay, whatever. I And we all know that, like, um, child care isn't great in the Star Wars universe, or at least it wasn't in the case of Padme. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> basically, I think we all agree that that was strange. Um, Wasn't bad, just I, strange. I yeah. see it as uh, I might even go so far as to say it's bad, but I see that they wow. they want the theme of like she's happy. I feel like the theme they they were going for there. She has like not only a memory of Canaan, but she has like. Kanan's child um so she's you know she's happy like and I, I want Hera to be happy I also never thought that that would be the thing that would bring her happiness so I think we're all pretty much on the same page with like that solid like 8 out of 10 7 out of 10 area it's gonna take me a while to digest what Rebels has meant to me because for so long I've been looking forward to not only what's going to happen next and what's going to like, what's it going to introduce, but also like I need to get my reviews done. Like I have deadlines for rebels that I don't have right now and all that's going to be kind of percolating. So I'm sure I'll have more to say in the, in the near future as well. 
Yeah. It's uh, I'm gonna miss Rebels. I really am. This mm, was same. Yeah. It was really sad watching the final Rebels recon. I'm gonna miss this whole thing a lot. Yeah. Rebels Recon got so creative. The one where they were in the world between the worlds was just amazing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah. it, it was a, the first Disney, you know, kind of extended thing. And, you know, though it was inconsistent at times, um, I still loved it. And I think it was, I think ultimately it was a good series and, uh, I hope to see the characters return in some form or another. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't put it better than that. So we will be back next month with more uh, expanded universe stuff, probably the last Jedi novel. So uh, thank you for listening. Um, Paul, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter at Herman 22 with two N's. Cool. And you do uh, Marvel podcasting as well, right? Oh yeah. I should probably pimp that out. Shouldn't I? I? Um, (laughs) Yes. Uh, it's Marvel Studios News. Um, that is the Twitter handle. You can find we have a podcast on there, Marvel Newscast. Um, basically, what we've been doing is going through kind of retrospective of all the old Marvel films, um, the Marvel Studios films. That is like Iron Man, Iron Man Two, things like that. It's been a lot of fun reminiscing about when we saw it. It's been a lot of weird kind of going back in time to wh- where I was in my life in that time, like. Um, for instance, an example is, uh, I got engaged with my wife when Captain America first Avenger was released. We were on a road trip and I saw that movie twice. I remember, uh, or three times. No, I made her go three times, I think. And so, and she was a good sport about it, but yes, we, I proposed my wife that same, uh, week. So that was pretty kind of nifty to kind of go back and talk about that a little bit. So Captain America first Avenger will always be, I'll always have a special place in my heart. Uh, because of that so things like that so yeah check it out we're we're going to go we're doing all the films leading all the way up to um obviously infinity war so yeah check us out there on Mar- at marvel newscast uh on twitter Seth, where can people find you you can find me on twitter at wanderlustin w-a-n-d-e-r-l-u-s-t-i-n you can also find me at notsafwork.com which is where i run my podcast network um, and I'm also on Western Reaches with Megan for latoshistation.net. And I'm just, yeah, Twitter is the best place to find me generally. I'm also mostly on Twitter at blog full of words. I write for Den of Geek for Star Wars Insider. And my latest for StarWars.com talks about the influence Maul had on Ezra. So um, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll be back next time with more expanded universe and uh, tie-in content. Bye. Bye. Oh, bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.